This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. We have a great, great topic today, one that is near and dear to me, and it is return to work programs. And most most employers, I feel, they struggle with a return to work program, especially some of the smaller ones, how to implement, what type of jobs to do, where to start. The list goes on and on, especially if a small business owner, they're wearing multiple hats. And I find this to be especially true if that small business does not have a lot of claim frequency, or maybe this is their first time that they really need to have a formal return to work program or bring an injured worker back to work. So we have a great guest for you today. Today's guest is Natalie Torres, and she is with WorkFinders USA, which specializes in return to work programs and they also save employers millions of dollars every single year. Natalie is a return to work advocate and the current senior director of client solutions at WorkFinders USA. And she's here to help educate us on what they do and how we can be better with return to work programs. And Natalie, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking time to join us. Hi, thank you so much for having me today, Todd. It's a pleasure to join you on the Comp Effect, and uh, I look forward to sharing uh, about return to work with with your audience today. Absolutely wonderful. Um, so let's—I I know we have a short amount of time here, and I really like to kind of dig into some content. So let's get started. What does it mean to be a return to work advocate at WorkFinders USA? For me, what it means to be an advocate is to be the person to get out into the community for the injured worker when they can't. Uh, we're, we're often working with folks who um, may have uh, light duty restrictions or permanent restrictions that need to make a splash back into the workforce. And as an advocate, I'm gonna be that person and our team of return to work specialists that will be out there ready to fight in the community for the injured worker to show opportunities that where they might not see them to to make an opportunity to get back to work. All right. And does WorkFinders USA, do you work with individual employers and insurance companies? We do. Our, our team of return to work specialists, we partner with carriers, employers, brokers, TPAs. Uh, sometimes defense attorneys are bringing us into the conversation. Um, anyone that's facing a unique return to work challenge that they may need um, some fresh eyes to uh, see how, uh, uh, how we can bring that to some success for that injured worker. All right. So I don't know, one of the things I wanted to talk about today, the, the importance of bringing an injured worker back to work is, is not only the, the right and humane thing to do for that injured worker, um, there's also a financial benefit to the business for doing that. And so instead of, letting, instead of letting an insurance company make indemnity payments to an injured worker, uh, if that employer will bring that injured worker back through some meaningful return to work or light duty restrictions, in my experience, there's roughly a, a, a three to one return on investment. For every dollar the insurance company spends, they're going to end up charging that employer long-term $3 for that. So there's a huge financial incentive for a business to, to bring an injured worker back into the workplace as safely and humanely as possible, rather than just let the insurance company make indemnity payments to them. So if I'm a small business and I know this and I want to bring an injured worker back to work and I've never done this before, I don't know what that means. And I think a lot of small businesses struggle with, hey, if I'm a contractor and you can't hammer a nail, I don't know what I'm going to have you do. And the great thing about what you do or what I've seen is you're creative you're really creative with how you can take somebody who was injured on the job 
and bring them back to meaningful work. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of just share what your typical day looks like and how that process unfolds for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, for today, for example, um, we're diving into the Nevada jurisdiction to start supporting some workers with permanent restrictions. So um, to kind of start off with how my day unfolded today was connecting with a couple of certified rehabilitation counselors out of the Nevada jurisdiction to hammer out our strategies for how we support those workers and ensure that um, they can unfold properly to um, meet the specifications within the statutes in Nevada. Um, checking in with my transitional case managers as well today. Um, you know, you started to talk about what, what can small employers do when maybe they're faced with their, uh, you know, first injury experience or, um, you know, they're just small and they're wearing so many hats and they're like, what can I do here? Um, we're, we're helping a lot of workers and em employers, of course, right now um, with workers just like that, that have light duty restrictions. They've come back to their employer and they, they can't accommodate them. And this is across a variety of industries right now. OK, so everything um, from retail and hospitality to healthcare and construction um, directly from the employer or through carrier relationships but a lot of focus on keeping the engagement with the injured worker um, by providing an offsite light duty solution with uh, charities and nonprofits. So staying close with our transitional case managers that have their eyes in all of these communities these days as restrictions are getting changed, say like uh, LA County, a lot of employers and carriers are really anxious to keep their employees engaged there, but with community restrictions, working with COVID, um, just ensuring that learning, I'm usually learning from my transitional case managers, um, how things are going and um, what, what we can continue to do to evolve and grow and support all those carriers, employers that need that help right now um, with injured workers in that way. And, and yeah, whatever I can do to support the rest of my team through what seems to be sometimes a, a changing by the day and sometimes hour with the uh, addition of COVID to the ways that we can engage and ultimately continue to support workers through the uncertainty of today and tomorrow. Yeah, COVID has certainly presented some challenges in how we communicate and uh, the jobs that we have available. So let's 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 talk a little bit about um, light duty. An injured worker, an injury happens on the job, and an injured worker goes to the the medical provider, and usually one of two things is going to happen, right? If either they're going to come back to work or they're going to be assigned um, some type of temporary leave until they heal, and as part of that, they may be off for three, five, seven days, whatever it ends up being. And then there's a light duty work restriction. And so if people don't know what that is. Maybe it's, it's this person can only stand for a certain amount of time. They can only lift a certain amount of time. They can only be at work for a certain amount of time. And that that's what we in the industry mean when we say return to work light duty, they can't come back to their job in a full capacity, but they can come back in some type of part-time capacity. Now you mentioned all of the different industries that you work with, um, construction, healthcare, retail. Can you, do you have any examples that you can share of what a light dirty, a light duty return to work program looks like maybe for a small employer who has not experienced this before and is, doesn't understand what it means to bring that person back and why they want to do that. Um, and so, uh, Asking for a little more specifics, Todd. Uh, so do you mean with regards to in um, offering light duty when they can't accommodate them or helping them see um, internally uh, potentials for return to work or a little bit of all that? A little bit of all that. So let's, that's a great point. Yeah. Got two things there, right? So some employers can bring that injured worker back under a light duty restriction. And it's yeah. a place within that company to do that job. Or... In the example, maybe I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a construction company that uh, builds things. Well, if I can't lift and I can't swing a hammer and I've got my right arm in a cast, what can I possibly do on the job site 
other than stand around. And so what we find is most construction companies would say, I can't bring them back to work. I've got nothing to do. And I think there's a lot of things that employers can do, especially in the construction or healthcare or whatever industry that could actively bring that injured worker back to work under a light duty return to work program. And that's where your team comes in. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and though we are expanding in 2021 to start to connect with employers to help them see the things that uh, they have on site and be part of that building of the process of their internal return to work program, since, since just thinking and knowing those steps and walking through that as part of the injury process is so critical when we get there, that when we do see we can't accommodate on site for the employers, right? We can be there to help them also understand that there are those options. So versus sending that employee home from whatever industry that it may be, um, proposing and helping them understand the options for offsite light duty uh, return to work, which is where we would engage with a charity or nonprofit to place that injured worker to start returning to work there and conclude that until, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to work there until their restrictions start to improve, ultimately returning that injured worker back to the employer of injury uh, when they reach full duty. So this is a temporary assignment um, because the employer can't take them um, but with our goal of the employer bringing them back when they reach full duty. Got it. So, so Bob, the construction worker can't return back to work. Your company will find meaningful work at charities and partners nationwide. And I think one of the things that I really liked about what your company has done, especially during COVID is you've branched out into two unique charities, especially for those people that, that aren't able to come back into the workforce. And I believe it's, do you want to talk about the cards? Yeah, thank you. Uh, the two organizations that joined us are uh, Cards for Kids and Operation Gratitude. And though our focus with offsite uh, return to work is usually uh, uh, engaging the injured worker out of the home, this was a great example of the complete flip of perspective that COVID made so many of us do because we had to bring the injured worker back into the home. We had to look internally again. And Cards for Kids and Operation Gratitude were amazing partners to come join this initiative. And what we did was we brought the charity experience and brought the work back into the injured worker's home. So through Cards for Kids who bring handmade cards to children all over the world that are in hospitals, and uh, Operation Gratitude, uh, we deliver handwritten letters, um, spreading lighthearted thoughts to first responders and veterans all over our country. And through these initiatives, injured workers um, are creating cards for children or writing these letters to our first responders and veterans um, as part of their work until they are able to get to a nonprofit actually offsite and continue the process moving forward. That's a unique twist on how to help people during COVID do meaningful work when work doesn't exist the way that it used to exist. It, it, it is incredible. And the injured worker response uh, the last year, um, now it's not a, a certainly not a solution for every claim. Um, folks that are really uh, thriving in these positions were, were individuals likely that we had um, at locations that as communities start to started to close down last year, that we wanted to keep that line of communication and keep their return to work process moving forward, that we were able to offer the work from home solution to stay close with them and, and continue to support them. And their feedback was amazing. And, and much of it too was that the fam, their families were affected as well, right? Because, um, the work came into the home and, um, who, whose heart isn't enriched by uh, creating cards for sick children. 
and uh, the cards reach folks all over the world as well. So we were able to engage some of our folks that uh, speak English as a second second language um, through our claims programs as well, and uh, be able to engage them through through the cards for kids, which was really special too. So for these alternative work uh, programs, such as the cards for kids, do these injured workers have complete freedom to make the cards that they want to send to whomever they want? Or what does that process look like? Yeah, it's, it's pretty open, Todd, but um, we, we do also provide some examples and uh, point them to resources too, because we all have different uh, levels of creativity, right? So um, some of our really artistic injured workers are creating some amazing things. And yes, yeah, some folks needed a little bit of guidance. So I'm um, trying to provide a little bit of everything for everyone. Great. So what, uh, I personally am not an artistic person, uh, in, in that nature. I mean, I, I'm not a good colorer. I'd probably color outside the lines. What, what do you recommend? Or, I mean, bringing somebody back into that capacity who may not have a love for that or an injured worker that they may do it for a week, but then they lose interest. What, what do you recommend or what alternatives would, uh, would you share for them for meaningful alternative return to work programs? So like if they, um, if they were engaged in our work from home program and they were starting to say fizzle in some of their engagement or, okay, sure. Um, our transitional case managers are engaged closely with the injured workers as well as the claim file on this level. Um, so I think here is, uh, also a, a refocusing for us as the claim file and the return to work specialists on ensuring that we have the injured workers um, perspective and needs perfectly in focus. Because if they're starting to fizzle, maybe there's something that we can all do um, to bring back some of the enthusiasm to that injured worker. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess I, I would, um, bring everyone back to the table as well as that injured worker to see, um, you know, where they're, uh, where and why their enthusiasm um, might be fizzling. And maybe there's something else that we're missing, you know, that that's that home engagement as well, that we all had to bring everything um, home when, you know, many of us have worked virtual for years, but so many of us haven't. So um, maybe there's some adjustments that we can do to support the injured worker that we simply weren't aware of. I love that humane approach. So for listeners out there, I mean, the, the return to work program, the alternative to work program that you're doing, it's a great, it's a great thing to give meaningful work to that injured worker, knowing that that's not a long-term solution for, for that injured worker. This is something that they need to do or that they can do to help bridge the gap between the injury and the going back to full-time employment. And it actually makes a difference in the world. What I think I want to, I want to change, uh, change a little bit of our conversation here, Natalie, because I think that you bring a level of humanity and emotion to the meaningful alternative work that injured workers can do. And I think a lot of that comes from your personal history in your marriage with your spouse and how you have had to adapt to, to changing what that looks like on a daily basis. And I read one of your recent posts on LinkedIn about your husband, Jesse, who was injured and how that process has given you a new light in how to help injured workers and bring people back to the workforce. And I want to know if we can talk about that a little bit today and share some of the things that you've learned along the way. Yes, please. I would love to. All right. So let's, let's just dig in. What, uh, start from the beginning. How did we get here? How did you get here with your husband and what has led you to this passion and the job that you have today? Yeah. Um, as I was thinking about talking with you today, it, it does come back to my husband's injuries, but what, what really brought me here today was, um, you know, ultimately my, my father passed unexpectedly. 
And before I was in the workers' compensation industry, I was serving humans in the hospitality industry. And I took a little bit of time away to learn how to live with the loss of my father. And when I came back to work at this restaurant that I loved, um, the last day that I worked, uh, my team had put the restaurant together. We were just about getting ready to open up the doors. And one of my favorite parts of work was to welcome my first guests that came in the door as we were getting started at lunch and, and taking them to the table myself um, as my host could get settled in. And this day I came to come stand next to my host and the first guests walked in and I, I just realized that it was over that day. And that, that just something had changed in my experience of losing my father. It was traumatic. And now that it's been six years later, I think it's just one of the most valuable lessons that with such traumatic experiences, very beautiful things can come of it. Because, because of those experiences, I'm on this podcast with you today. And as I realized that day at the restaurant, I, I wanted to serve humans in another way. I loved what I loved about the hospitality industry was creating experiences. And these were sometimes some of the most memorable experiences for people, anniversaries, birthdays, engagements, graduations, Mother's Days. These are all memories that now even more than ever, we are really relishing and cherishing um, in those experiences. And I wanted to take that love and try to engage humans in another way. And after a little bit of time, I came upon WorkFinders USA and an opportunity to join their team as a research associate. I was new in the industry and knew nothing about work comp or return to work, um, but really was uh, drawn in by the opportunity to craft the experience part of return to work for injured workers. And it really started to pull on my intention for the work. Uh, I always come back to that. I think our intentional focus of our industry and my work and my work um, is, is guiding the return and good health to everybody that we touch. And as the work started to evolve about a year into it, my, uh, my husband's physicality started to change. And um, when he was a teenager, he was involved in a um, well near fatal for him traffic accident. One of his best friends had died in the front seat and he had to be removed by the jaws for life when he was 15. And he amazingly recovered and learned how to walk again. And inside of the next year or so, he uh, was competing in wrestling his junior year. And shortly thereafter that, he joined the Marine Corps. And amazingly, they, they, they took him and he had cut himself strong enough to be able to serve us. And so, yeah, about a year into my experience with WorkFinders USA, his physicality just starts to change. This was compounded from the car accident, years of the Marine Corps beating the hell out of him, and it was really starting to take its toll. And that physicality started to, to, to deteriorate to such a degree that you know, he was losing his ability to walk. And through this, we're starting to navigate the disability process through our Veterans Administration because these were injuries stemming from the Marine Corps. And as I started to walk this path with him and walk the path of diving into learning about return to work, I was really starting to identify the why and understanding how my life as a family member supporting someone who is injured, injured and navigating pain and, and uh, recovery, uh, how they're really impacted. It was ultimately through that that I really identified my humanity connection to this work with Return to Work. I think you look through this work with a different lens than most people. And I'm excited. I'm looking forward to digging into this and talking a little more. But I think that so many times and so many claims, and, and I see it as the, as the insurance agent side of things, businesses may tend to forget about 
that person who is at home after an injury and it's kind of like the out of sight, out of mind, the day gets busy, especially those small businesses, and they don't see the pain and the struggle that that injured worker may be going through at home or what is going through their family. And I tie this back to a claim I had a while back with, uh, with somebody I know who had hurt their shoulder. And after eight weeks, their shoulder's not getting better. They're not back at work. Their family's struggling financially. Uh, it puts an extra load on the spouse at home. The kids still need to go to all their activities. This was obviously pre-COVID. They're afraid to say anything in their job because they don't want to lose the job that they've had because it's fairly technical. And so they, they struggle in silence or them and the, their spouse and them struggle in silence. And so yeah. just bringing the humanity back to those, to that claim process that you and your team do to give people meaningful work and reduce the stress at home. I think we can all learn a lesson from that in every single claim. And I'm looking at you right now and your cat's back there wearing a daisy. <laughs> I love the meetings. I love it. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Connecting with the experience through my husband, it, it opened up my eyes and showed so much light on the just tremendous areas that we can step outside of our ego and ourselves to make some space to connect for, um, you know, ultimately creating a capacity for empathy um, with folks and, and really being able to just try to take a small exercise to um, replace yourself with your injured worker and and try to think about a couple of the immediate ways like your emotional ways your financial ways your spiritual ways that you and your family unit would likely be impacted and when you start to walk through this quick exercise if if you're having a hard time identifying it and, and you're feeling those feelings, that's okay because we don't all do that either right away. And we, we can look to other folks within the industry to try to support advocacy um, for injured workers through um, some different return to work specialties. Absolutely. What advice would you give then knowing what you know today? and you've got an injured worker at home, if you could give uh, a piece of advice to businesses on maybe a program or what they should do, what's step one when they've got that injured worker at home to create not only a better experience for the business, but also a better experience for that injured worker. But do you have a piece of advice? Yeah, I'd like to say a little more about the, the exercise that I, I was just starting to mention. This is your um, step exercise? What's that? Is this the five-step exercise? Yeah, yeah. So just to, to take 10 minutes and write down the five ways that you could possibly think that as an employer or as the, the workers' compensation representative for that employer um, to try to identify with the empathy that you need to understand what somebody is going through. And I found this exercise beneficial because it, it really encourages us to step outside of ourselves and our own egos and our own end games and try to really create that space for compassion and identify the empathy for the person. So yeah, that five step up, that five step exercise is thinking about the financial ways, the spiritual ways, the ways of the balance of your life. <clears throat> uh, the uncertainty for the future and your emotions. Think about those ways that your family unit and you as an individual would be impacted. And as you step aside from those things, as you start to identify them, most of us start to really say, wow, you know, they perhaps had no idea and, and start to connect to a thread of what maybe we, we didn't know from our injured worker. And, and using that as a way to, even if it's just pulling out one thread 
of the humanity of stepping aside from claim, from number, from adjusting and connecting back to the human involved, involved and starting to pull at that and use that exercise as a way to um, connect with the worker and try to move through your claims process with a little bit of a different eye. So one of the things that I advocate for is finding the person within your company to be really a claim navigator or a claim advocate or a voice for that injured worker. Um, I think you need to have a neutral third party that probably cares as much as you do to speak up for that injured worker when they are not actively at work. And to go back to your point here, the, the five-step exercise, financially, that injured worker, they just took a pay cut, right? Yeah. So if they're severely hurt at work, number one, their finances just got affected because the return to work program is not meant to make you whole. It's meant to bring you back into the return. To, it's meant to bring you back into the system. And so if the insurance company is providing an indemnity payment, that worker is not made whole. So a family who's most of the world lives paycheck to paycheck is struggling financially. And then you talk about the uncertainty. When is that spouse going to get back to work? When's that injured worker going to come back to work? How are we going to pay bills this week? What are we going to do? And then spiritually, I mean, that affects a family marriage. It, it does. You know, when, when, and I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate to have a great marriage uh, with my wife and we're in this together. It, but the, the real world, I think, you know, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. There is, there's a struggle when one spouse, if, if you have separate checking accounts and suddenly your spouse isn't bringing home more money and they want to borrow money from you, that is another financial struggle. And all of these things affect the claim process that your case managers are having to deal with. And I think they're the untold stories that many times the business owner or the CEO or the CFO simply doesn't hear when that injured worker is out on leave. I also believe the long-term effects of that is if an employer doesn't handle the claim the right way by caring about these things that we just talked about here and that you just mentioned, that there's really no connection for that employee anymore at that company. They may feel like they, not, they may not have a place. And I think that employers, when, when they don't have this meaningful connection to the injured worker, may end up losing that employee long-term to another company simply because of how they handle that claim experience. And we talk about the comp effect. This is the effect of comp, right? Care about your injured worker when they're hurt. It's not hard. Be humane. Fo take them groceries. Find out what you can do. Partner with a company like yours that cares and brings them back to work. Am I missing anything, Natalie? No. I feel You're like nail on the head right there, right? Just care. Yes. Just care and try to remain guided by your heart. It's natural for us to want to close off at times, especially with what we're all going through. But there's also a tremendous opportunity now for extension of grace. And um, so don't fight those, those feelings to want to close off. Try to lead with our heart and try to, try to just lead with care and love. Perfect. I think that COVID and the last, what is this now, February, the last 10 months, has affected people's just anxiety and mental health. And I think people are more on edge. And when you have a worker who's injured, who may not want to come back to work, or maybe they're, I don't want to say difficult, but they're just struggling with everything going on in the world today. And your company comes in and says, Hey, Bob, Mary, we'd like to bring you back. We'd like to do these transitional duties and there is no buy-in from them at all. They don't want to do it. They're angry. Uh, what, what does your company do or how do you handle that? Or what can employers do to help buffer that situation? Because I know the goal is to be humane and care and bring them back with grace, but they may not see that bigger picture at that time. They may be struggling with everything that has happened to them. And they're sitting at home alone right now, isolated in a world full of COVID. 
Yeah, I I think there are some scenarios that human beings simply need a little more time. And if we're experiencing some real walls coming up uh, with the potential for wrapping arms around experiences like a light duty return to work opportunity, some folks might just need to be stepped away from for a little bit. We as humans have been bombarded with information this last year and that has taken our mental health and our just regular thinking into so many different levels. We've been literally bombarded and then compound that for an injured worker that's trying to navigate the injury experience, the workers' compensation industry. They might need simply a little bit more time. We may need to just step away for a moment, let them digest and try to understand what's in front of them and and give them an opportunity to be revisited course shortly thereafter not giving anyone too much time to float away um but i think people need a little bit more time these days i agree i agree and i think if you're if you're the hr professional or business owner out there listening staying in daily contact that really needs to be the key um we know statistically that the longer an injured worker is away from work the higher it is to be litigated the less likely they are to come back to work um, I think those are the results of a distance between a business and that employee. And my recommendation, if, if, if you're listening, stay in daily contact, find meaningful ways to connect with that injured worker. If you're, if, if you don't have a return to work program, partner with a company like WorkFinders USA that can help you navigate this, find a way to bring that injured worker back to work. There's two things that this is going to do. One, it's going to connect with that employee on an individual level and hopefully help them connect to your company at a deeper level than what they did before. Uh, two, it, it's, it's going to be financially advantageous. And I know this sounds crazy, but even paying for an injured worker to take the time, as you said, Natalie, if the carrier pays for that for a few days, that's financially beneficial than putting them out on, on a, on an indemnity program at the insurance company. And I think just a little humanity, a little compassion, we had a we had a person on last week or a couple of weeks ago that said, for most injured work for every injured worker, the claim is not a path to financial windfall. It's pain and suffering along the way. And that was that was very impactful to me when when she said that, because I think sometimes people think, hey, this person is just cashing a check. They're getting rich on the insurance company's indemnity. They're not working. And the reality is that is so far from the truth in every claim scenario that I've ever seen. And when an employer digs in and the employee digs in and they drift farther apart. And so connect, connect humanely, humanely, not humanly. We're live, right? Sometimes we say the wrong words. Yes. What is that? Oh boy. All right. What, uh, anything else you want to talk about today, Natalie? Any advice you have for business owners on crafting a return to work program or anything that they can do or any advice at all? Yes. When you're feeling a direction is lost or the heading is lost or an uh, uncertainty, if it's your first time walking through the process, um, try to bring your focus back to to the, the injured worker and and try to shove aside claims matters and or attorneys or litigation or numbers or industry and just try to reconnect with the person that's standing in front of you. And uh, I promise that that kind of flip in the perspective, if you're feeling uh foggy or uncertain of what's next um, will bring some clarity into how you could step forward with that person. Wonderful. One, one thing you just brought up. So if a claim, if a claim is being litigated right now, that injured worker has filed, has, has been represented by an attorney, how does that change the meaningful 
transition of work with your company? Are you working with the attorney at that point? Or are you still able to contact the injured worker? Um, uh, we would reach out to their attorney and many times they're open to us connecting with, with their client directly at this phase. Um, so, uh, if, if we have defense on the case as well, sometimes they're doing the communication for us. Um, but yeah, more often than not, after, um, connecting with the plaintiff counsel, they're welcomed, uh, we're welcome to contact their client and, here we want to learn about what some of their um, things that they enjoy doing as we're looking to pair them with an off-site placement. Um, when we talk about our work with like the construction industry, there's a lot of overlap with vets um, in that in that space. So um, learning about hobbies and interests by talking with injured workers directly, um, we can really start to um, place them in locations where, of course, it's meaningful, but flourishing um, as well. Um, maybe putting vets at, they always love the guitar for vets opportunities and the likes. So um, yeah, we do get a chance to talk with them. And, and it's really nice to be able to help work with, you know, connecting them with their community organizations that they really enjoy um, going to volunteer with. All right. I don't know what community for vets is or guitars for vets. So throughout the country, there is a guitar guitars for vets program, and it was an extension through the VA and that has unfolded into communities through um, small, small little meetings and some folks that now have locations in different cities where um, veterans are put together with guitars and uh, there's a lot of musician musical talent within that space too and um, you know what we have are, are a lot of our amazing veterans coming together um, I think enjoying music and finding a little bit of therapy through it as well. Nice. So business owners don't have to go it alone. Companies like yours nationwide, locations nationwide, partners nationwide. And I think I looked at your map and there is meaningful work with some of the centers. I mean, in almost every single state and community that I've seen at workfindersusa.com. I know you're adding to Yes, that. sir. So when you partner with people, thrift shops, I don't want to say thrift shops. I want to say Salvation Armies, Goodwills, um, what, uh, what other type of alternate transitional work are you helping do in the communities that people live in? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely partnering with our national um, nonprofits and charities, the ones we're familiar with, right? Goodwill, Salvation Army, Habitat for Humanity, St. Vincent de Paul, and the like. And what you saw on our website was a great representation of, I think we added 200 new partners um, just last year alone, as COVID was unfolding, still people joining our, our network of nonprofits. And when we get a new case, we, we always look to our network because we, we certainly want to get an injured worker back as soon as possible. But we're often reaching right out into their communities. Um, if the file doesn't match for uh, uh, an opening within our network at the time, we're starting to reach out to some of the, the smaller, and I'll say mom-pa-sized nonprofits and charities within communities that really, really need the hands. And even as COVID started to unfold, um, social service organizations where they needed folks doing light phone and administrative work that uh, the, this was nothing that was this was something that was not beyond anyone to be able to handle because the needs of our world and our communities just changed last year. So um, yeah, the, there's been some amazing ways that um, injured workers have been able to connect on their community levels too. When we follow up with the injured workers, when they're ready to go back to work, so many say how they, they hadn't volunteered with their community for so long and that they've felt uh, a new enrichment uh, about their about their experience 
happy to be going back to their employers, but also feeling uh, a different part of their heart had been touched through being part of their community organizations. There's a great message here. So we, we talked earlier today about how many times we hear, I don't have work at my company or I can't bring that injured worker back to work. And what you just told us today is in every community across the country, there is alternate jobs for people to do temporarily to give back to that community. And from the business owner's standpoint that I hear, that is a great thing that you can do for the community that you live in and serve. It's a great thing for your injured worker to still have meaningful work and keep them busy and contribute and contribute to the community. And it's a win for everybody all the way around because it makes us all better together. Fair enough. Yes. Better together. Better together. All right. We are, I think we're about almost at an hour. Natalie, is there anything else you want to talk about today? If not, I've got a few things and we'll wrap up where with. Thank you for the opportunity to join you, Todd. It's been a pleasure to talk about return to work and how we can continue to support all injured workers on their path to good health and meaningful work. Thank you for coming on. I'm a huge advocate when an injured work, when you have that injured worker, we need to bring them back into the fold. They want to be back into the fold. They want to be, they want to do meaningful work. People don't want to be cast aside. And I've seen it happen time and time again, where, where it's almost like a punishment because you were injured and it's time to change that narrative and change that story. And most times people didn't ask to get injured. It was an accident. And now they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. So bringing a little humanity, a little compassion. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you today when we connected last time, because your company and what you've done during COVID with the cards for kids and the operation gratitude has been absolutely amazing. And it was a unique twist on alternative re return to work programs that I've not seen before. And it makes a direct impact with sick children and vets. And I want to thank you for spearheading that because I think it makes a difference nationwide. And it's, I, maybe someday we can have people on here that talk about the cards that they received and how that impacted them. That'd be a story. That would be a story. I love that idea. All right. So they can find you, Natalie, at workfindersusa.com. You're also on LinkedIn posting a lot of stuff. Natalie Torres, any other way to get in contact with you? That's perfect. That's the perfect ways. All right. So before we wrap up, I asked three questions that, uh, uh, I just, I want to know. And one of those is what are you reading right now? I am reading a book called, uh, the world comes to you. And, uh, it's a little short read by, uh, a writer named Michael Stone. And, uh, he writes some different, uh, yoga philosophy within that space. And, um, it's the second time I'm actually reading it because the, I, I just loved it so much. These are short little, um, excerpts with uh, a focus on love or a focus on relationships or uh, thoughts of spirituality and the like um, with a little bit of the yoga lens as well. But the idea is that the world comes to you if you let it. Okay. And I, we didn't even talk about that, but that's one of your passions is yoga. Yes. Yes, it is. When um, I was learning how to live with the loss of my father, uh, I stumbled into a yoga studio and uh, yoga saved me. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an amazing practice. I love to share it. And I, I'm uh, now a yoga teacher, hopefully looking to start to share some of uh share yoga from that perspective or, or offer that inquiry for folks one day. Okay. Well, hopefully that brings, I'm assuming that brings a little balance to your job and a little unique perspective also with that intentional action every single day. It does. It does. I crave my time on my mat. <laughs> well, I bet that I bet I know what the next answer is here. Uh, so my next question is what's one thing you spend more money on than you should clothing, clothing, clothing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also a new homeowner though. So it's shifting a little bit more into all of those new home needs, right? 
So working on attachment to buying too many clothes and shifting it over to the new needs of our home. Well, hopefully your, your budget on clothes can go down because we're all staying at home and working from home now, right? So put it back yes. home and then we can dress up when we're back in the workforce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also though took up knitting uh, through the um, lockdowns and such. And I have been buying a little bit too much yarn lately as well. I didn't know if that was possible. And it takes up a lot of room. <laughs> I've had my wife and uh, child do that and... I didn't realize how expensive some of those knitted blankets and such are. They get spendy with all the yarn. It, it can. It was uh, exactly from that. It was a scarf that I bought that I thought was so beautiful. I I, I had to have it. And I, I was like, I think I, could, I think I could learn how to make this. And yeah. Uh, now I'm, now I'm knitting and yes, they, they can get a little expensive, but if you start crafting it up, I think you can, you can make it a little bit cheaper. Yes. Well, and you get the satisfaction of doing it yourself. Yes, indeed. All right. Last thing. What's one piece of advice that you want to give the world today? That you can change the life of any person that you encounter by putting out your hand and keeping your word. The idea of that lives can be changed through handshakes and Though we're not shaking hands in person anymore, this is the virtual handshake that you and I did today, or someone that you think might need uh, a hand, or uh, you need a hand, reach it out. There's people in the world that are there to grab it. And when you do, keep your word. You can change lives that way. There's no better way to end this podcast. Great advice. Thank you so much, Natalie, for joining us today. And thank you for spreading your word and your positivity in the world. Thank you, Todd. It was a pleasure. 